1: top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being
2: there, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've got a big hour coming your way. We're going to be joined by uh, three special operators who, uh, along with nine others, eight others, hmm, nine others, seven others, uh, went to seven continents and the jump out of planes, skydiving, seven continents in seven days. Amazing. That's a new world record. They did it all for folds of honor and to raise awareness about those who serve and have fallen in battle. They're going to be joining us. And then Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the hour. That'll be great. Guess where the president's going to go later today? Home uh, to Delaware. Never stays in the Oval Office. I think this is trip number 61. Let's get to the big three
1: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three sponsored by crunch fitness interested in owning your own business in a growing 30 billion dollar industry check out crunch fitness at crunch.com
3: number three yes we need to go in a new direction and can i be that leader yes i think i can be that leader but we are still working through things and we'll figure it out i've never lost a race i said that then i still say that now i'm not gonna lose now but stay tuned
2: Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, Nikki Haley weighing in with special uh, report last night. 2024 taking shape as another former Trump team member prepares to take him on. Nikki Haley, the latest, what she said and what she's been accused of by another Trump loyalist uh, who might run himself as the current president prepares to announce he wants four more years.
4: Number two. We have charged him with involuntary manslaughter in the alternative. We have charged him based on uh, reckless disregard for safety, um, and we've also charged him based on a misdemeanor statute of negligent use of a deadly weapon.
2: Yeah, there you go. Those are the attorneys for New Mexi- in New Mexico, uh, putting a, turning the, the screws to Alec Baldwin. Baldwin pulled the trigger. This is what New Mexico prosecutors uh, revealed, and they decided to charge him on two counts. Could the volatile, esteemed actor, beheading to jail for shooting his cinematographer, who happens to be his friend.
3: Number
5: one. We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. There's no there there.
2: Really? No, they're there. No regrets. You would think a president caught with misplaced classified documents at the highest level might be regretful and apologetic, but not Biden. In fact, he was defiant. And I think he'll regret that. Here's the entire soundbite. Cut one.
5: We found a handful of documents were failed or uh, filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find... There's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there.
2: So here's the thing. You could say that if you were Donald Trump and you know you didn't conspire with Russia to win an election. You can say that if you're saying uh, if you're if you're talking about uh, a leak to The New York Times that ended up being Scooter Libby. Even though Richard Armitage admitted it, Scooter Libby didn't think he was the person to reveal it. You could honestly say, and to this day, he thinks he's innocent. But this special prosecutor knows one thing. There were very classified documents at the highest level in his office and in his garage and in his house. Yet he says there's no there there. What are you talking about? Almost everybody in the military, the lowest and highest level, retired and active, I have come across, said, if I did that, I would be in jail. And the president, not contrite, goes out of his way to say something ill-advised. I have to think, this guy's an attorney. First off, he says, they were in my locked garage with my Corvette, with my Corvette. What? And now you can, after totally condemning the president, uh, the former president on 60 Minutes, saying, how could anyone be that irresponsible? Then he says, there's no there there. OK, everybody that has classified documents just say I did it by mistake. There's no there there. If the president setting the standard, that would be the way. Even Adam Schiff, and I hate playing his sound bites, I find him despicable, said this, cut three.
6: Well, first of all, I think whenever classified documents are found somewhere they shouldn't be, uh, it's an issue. Um, and we need to find out uh, how the documents ended up there. And uh, is there any risk uh, that they were exposed to people that didn't uh, or shouldn't have had access The intelligence community does those kind of uh, damage assessments, mitigation assessments. They should do so here. Now, I am
2: not sure. Uh, Maybe it's just so overwhelming that they have no choice. But for the longest time, Joe Biden, after the primaries, walked on water. He never did anything wrong, never ate his own words, never contradicted himself, never got lost leaving a stage. Uh, No shows no sign of dementia or aging before your eyes. No, nothing ever happened. But now CNN is running stories about connections between Joe Biden, his brothers and the laptop. Five or six minutes about his complicated overseas business dealings, which he was referred to, that Hunter referred to him in uh, the laptop that they said was invalid. I am wondering why this all happened. I know you are, too. Why they're all coming out now and being honest and candid. Terry Churchy, a former assistant director of the FBI. On why the FBI is not involved in this yet. Cut seven.
6: There's a lot of there there, and there are no FBI agents to find out whose fingerprints are on those documents, to have properly collected them and then sent them to the lab in the right order so that certain forensic exams could be done. There is a real problem. If you have an intention of of prosecuting someone, none of those attorneys can take part in that prosecution because they're all now witnesses, and they're people that have to be maybe cross-examined. This is a mess, and the intention here is to cover up, not to get to the bottom of, it is to cover up the same things they've been covering up now for years, the Biden connection with the Chinese, the flow of millions of dollars of Chinese money into America, and the fact that we have a bevy of legislation and decisions, which for some reason always benefit Chinese interests, but never benefit America's interests.
2: Except for the CHIPS Act, which does clamp down on the Chinese. And there is going to be some uh, Democrats on a Senate, on a House select committee on China. But there are some really disturbing things about China and the president of the United States and his family. I'm not sure if it's related to these documents because I don't know the content. Sooner or later, it'll come out. The president wants it to go away. Guess what? The American people are not happy. Turns out he's got now a 40 percent approval rating. It was at 40. It was at 44 percent. That's pretty big in one week. Also, the Quinnipiac poll, when asked, how did President Biden handle the classified documents? 22% 22% said appropriately. 60% said inappropriately. Those are two devastating numbers for him. And let's just see where it goes from here. You're not going to be bailed out by other elements. The thing that I worry about, this will make him less likely to deal on the debt ceiling because he wants the government to shut down to make that the number one story. And many in the press would love not to report about a story that makes the president in a slipshot way in the way he handles intelligence uh, really under question, and I just wonder how many more documents are going to be found, and what is at the University of Delaware with this Senate work? This is the Brian Kilmeade show. When we come back, Mike Sorelli joins us, retired Navy SEAL, former Recon Marine, and uh, Talent War Group CEO. Andy Stump, retired Navy SEAL, former wingsuit world record holder, and Legacy Expeditions co-founder, and Nick Kosh, retired Navy EOD officer and Triple Seven Expedition Expedition lead. What they did. Unbelievable. Seven continents, seven jumps in seven days. Wow. In the middle of this, a total shutdown of the airline industry last Friday. Only the second time in history because of, uh, they say, a malfunction with a contract worker. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
1: Politics, current events and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's my privilege of you. You got Fox Nation. If you don't have it, uh, go, go download the app right now. Uh, 3C uh, American Legends before my eyes. Mike Sorelli is here, retired Navy SEAL and Legacy Expeditions uh, co founder. Andy Stump is here, retired Navy SEAL and Legacy Expeditions co founder, along with Nick Cush, who's retired as a SEAL. These guys, were, by the way, look like they're in their primes, and 777 Expedition lead. Uh, is, is here. So guys, welcome to all three of you.
7: Yeah. Thanks for having me. All you. right. Uh,
2: first off, who came up with the idea of jumping, going to seven continents in seven days and skydiving.
8: So let me, let me back up. When Andy and I formed legacy expeditions, you know, really we had one mission is to set up these amazing adventures where we take veterans and they feel that camaraderie again, okay. that brotherhood. And, and it's something you miss when you get out of the military. And, you know, when you do hard things together, you form bonds just like combat that, right. that can never be broken. There is this, you know, sort of thing that's been talked about for decades, seven continents, seven days, seven skydives. And it, it's, it's sort of joked about that it keep, couldn't be done. So, you know, Andy and I called Nick in June of 2021 and said, hey, what if we did this? Because special operations has proven and shown that it, it has a way of making this seemingly impossible possible. And uh, there was a little hesitation at first. Oh yeah. And then we started looking at the problem and dissecting it. And about July or uh, August timeframe of 2021, we're like, hey, we can do this. Especially this team. This team can do this. Right. So you want to raise money for
2: Folds of Honor. So Nick, you just didn't get a charter or plane no
9: uh we the whole thing was was going to be focused on flying economy, and we had a really good support network from American Airlines uh, via folds of honor so you called so, them yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and we had a great uh, just like with any special operations force uh in any unit there's always a really good group of support network behind the scenes and of enablers, and that's where that really helped us f- nail down any contingencies and things like that that we had
2: so anyway also what's what's kind of interesting is all of a sudden the whole airline industry shut down. Was it last Thursday? Uh, to be honest right? with you, I, oh, I have man. no idea what so day it was. So you have to get, you got to finish this, and all of a sudden, for the for second time in the history uh, of flight, we have, everything's grounded. We find out now they claim because of a contractor. Oh. Yeah. What happened? How'd you, how'd
7: you deal with that? I mean... If you look at what special operations actually is, it's nonlinear problem solving. So we had done 18 months of planning leading (laughs) up to this. We had talked through contingencies. We had somebody behind the scenes who was ready to move flights, logistics, Um, So really, we sat down and we solved the problem in about 30 minutes because we looked at what had happened. We looked at what was available, what our resources were. We pulled our heads together, made a decision and executed on it. And we actually landed about five minutes after our scheduled arrival time on the
8: economy flight that we would have been on on the private flight.
2: Mike, run through the run through the continents.
8: Uh, And let me add on to that. You know, it's amazing about this team. When you look at it, nobody freaked out. We identified the problem. We started proposing solutions, and I've got to say that Glenn Cowan, our, our lone Canadian, was the one that, that, that brought that together and was and able. When, to How did the you, plan. you solve it? Did- uh, so basically, we reached out to some very good Americans, our network. Uh, we all put some money in, into the pot, and, and we chartered a plane t- from Miami to Barcelona to stay on schedule, and in, in fact, we finished this in six continent or s- six days, six hours and six minutes. But we started in Antarctica. The reason we started there is because it was the wildest variable. Right. You just you, you can't plan for that weather. From there. I mean, I saw
2: the scenes. It's all ice, despite what Al Gore promised. He said it would be like spring <laughs> by, right now. So he was drawing there. We
7: could tell you about the ice wall, but we signed an NDA. So it's okay, but- a <laughs> <answer>. yes, yes. <laughs> so, From,
8: from so, there, we went to Chile. From there, Miami, Barcelona, uh, Cairo over the pyramids, which was probably. There's a photo that will probably go viral. It'll, actually, it already has. Uh, of a four-way Where do right we over get the pyram- it? pyramids.
2: Where do we get it? Where do we get the photo?
8: Go go to any of our Instagrams, legacyexpeditions.net Instagram, and you can see it. And then from there to uh, Abu Dhabi, and then we finished the records in uh, in Perth, Australia.
2: Uh, that's pretty cool. So, Nick, you you mentioned Legacy. So, Nick, you want to do this for uh, Folds of Honor. You got $450,000. Mm-hmm. And the more you get, the more scholarships that go out. Correct. So if anybody is listening to this now... And you weren't there before. This is the chance to get there now. How do we get there and support you? Well, and that's through the
8: uh, the triple seven give smart. I'll have Mike. Mike. Mike's been reciting it. So it's triple really well. seven. The word triple. The number seven. Mm-hmm. dot givesmart. dot com. Triple seven. dot givesmart. dot com.
2: Got it. Um, you mentioned this is just one adventure. What's yep. the next
7: adventure? You know, we were talking about that yesterday and how we should answer this question, and and I can only answer it... Because you always plan for contingencies? We plan for contingencies, but I also don't want to spend too much time forward thinking because it'll wash away the the accomplishment of what this is. But from a personal perspective, I know, for me, this trip was surprisingly emotionally impactful. That's what surprised me the most about it. It wasn't the jumps, it wasn't the travel, it was the emotional impact that it had. And that's beneficial for me, but I think all three of us sitting here agree that especially the veteran community and the old special operations community specifically that we come from, we thrive doing difficult things. And that serves the person well, but I want to figure out ways to take endeavors that serve me and have them serve others. So I'm not sure what we're going to do next when it comes to an expedition and continuing to help people maintain and tell their their legacy stories, but I know that we will continue. Um, But for me, the flag in the ground is it has to be greater than myself and it has to serve something bigger than myself.
2: And plus you love hanging out with these guys. Not right? really. I'm not super really. sick of no, those. You're guys. the one who it's been like yeah. eight, eight days straight. I'm right. really I'm ready for some time <laughs> off. So, Mike, you know what they always talk about with the players when they leave, uh, when they've stopped playing pro, stop playing college, whatever they do? They miss the locker room. Uh, not only that, but you guys are usually in the line of fire. You put your lives on the line. That's a uh, high emotional. No one will ever replicate that. Is it similar when you get out? You know, you miss the locker room?
8: You, you, you lose your tribe. Mm-hmm. The, the special operations community becomes part of your DNA. There's right. no denying that. And let me go to a quote. I jumped in honor of MA2 Michael Monsoor. He was a Navy SEAL. He jumped on a grenade. Everybody ha- jumped
2: for somebody. Yes. Yeah.
8: Uh, he jumped on a grenade uh, three feet from me and saved my life. He wrote a letter to his mom during the Battle of Ramadi to assuage her, her concerns. And he said, Mom, I'm with the boys, and that's as good as it gets. So, you know, our families were a little nervous about this. And, and I told my, my wife and, my, and my, my parents, I'm with the boys, and that's as good as it gets. And you miss that. And that's what Legacy Expeditions is going to provide for veterans in the future. That's, that's our plan, like he just said, to do something that is bigger than ourselves. Uh, no doubt about it. When you
2: uh, – you understand then why so many people in your community are reporting to fight in Ukraine for the Ukrainians, right? Mm-hmm. Because you see the right cause – and you want that feeling of putting everything on the line, would you say?
9: Oh, absolutely, because just it, it is form, reforming that brotherhood. And what we've also seen throughout this entire expedition and this entire workup experience was with us building that camaraderie and that tribe, we also found these connections with the people uh, throughout all seven continents that were also supporting. And so it was this huge connection globally, uh, along with our our cause that we were going for, for folds of honor. And so we got to fill that, that, that brotherhood within our own, our own team. But then also the guys and, and girls in Antarctica, Chile, Miami, all of the locations, they all really kind of came together to support it. Uh, that, a cause that was bigger. Than so themselves. they had a
2: heads up that you were coming. Oh yeah. It was, you got cooperations yeah. with the government. Um, uh, we, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that
7: far.
9: It was mostly the skydiving community and people um, and, and yeah. veterans and patriots in all the countries and all the locations they were all believed in what we were doing and wanted to be
8: part of it let, let me it. let me be very clear on this why why we were successful in special operations is because we had a massive support network mm-hmm. and we had a massive support network uh, on this one in fact uh i almost near tears spent 18 hours on the phone trying to get hold of uh, american airlines and just kept pushing around or no and nobody wanted to help until one woman missy uh, Tonus, Picked up the phone. She heard the desperation in my voice. She works for American Airlines. And she said, honey, don't worry. I'm going to help you book all these tickets. We're going to figure this out together. And she gave her off time to book all the tickets across the globe for this entire team. If it wasn't for people like Missy Tonus or George Silva, who's in the background uh, running operations, we would not have been successful. So American was the, the only airline you used? Was uh, that- American or the American uh, One World Network. Yes. All right. So you need someone to work
2: logistics, and they mm-hmm. did it. Yes. And Folds of Honors, a beneficiary of it, you guys coming together, uh, making a difference. And uh, one more time, the number is uh, givesmart.com. 777-Givesmart.com. uh
8: 777 com. Guys, thanks so much. Appreciate you being Thank you. here. Thanks, thanks, thanks for
2: sharing your story. I cannot wait to see what's next. But we're <laughs>
8: focusing on now. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I got it. Thanks, Back Brian. with
2: Carly Shimkus in just a moment. You like Carly, right? Oh, love her. All right, good. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll let her come on.
1: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Hi, we are back. And guess who's back with us? Carly Shimkus. Carly, it's been too long. It's probably Wait. been a, a month, right?
11: Wow, you're right. Yeah. It's been about a it month. Was quizca, Christmas happened. Right. <laughs> and we're dating back to 2022 now. Right. And how
2: many weeks do you go out of maternity?
11: I'm going to take, I think I'm going to take about four and a half months.
2: You're going to take four and a half months. Isn't that
11: crazy? That's what you get. How many? Yeah, you God get four bless and, Fox.
2: Wait a second. Since I thought it was three months.
11: Yeah. So, well, it, I just filled out the paperwork. Would you like me to go through the whole process? Sure. Uh, yeah. That's, that would make great radio. Yeah. You can, uh, you can take, I think, up to five.
4: Right. I think you
11: could actually take up to seven under New York state law. I'd be afraid that I'd forget how to do my, my job. At a that lot point.
2: of people worried about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so maybe we should come out with two months. Yeah. Um,
11: yeah. Do you think that's too long?
2: Four and a half months? Yeah. I mean, how long did you take? Uh, well, Alice is not paying attention. Yeah. Oh, uh, but uh-oh. yeah, but oh, she had oh, no. twins.
11: Uh, oh, so she one-upped me? Right. Well, she did because she has two babies. So she, she really should get double the time. You know. Is four and a half months too long for maternity? I feel like Brian's shaming me a little bit. But, you
12: know, because he's had this so many a, babies. He knows what it's this
11: like. This a rocky road for I Brian I think four to go and, and a half months
12: is nice. It'll be like, you'll feel refreshed enough, but then you'll also be looking forward to coming back.
11: Yes. Okay. okay. But those first three months,
12: you're like, I couldn't go back yet. Really? But like that fourth month is when you're sort of like,
11: okay, Okay. I got the schedule down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. Was so thinking, you are, no, that was a great conversation. Honestly, I appreciate that. Right.
2: Okay. So, a quick thing while you're still working. We're
11: done with that. Yeah. Uh, we'll can we, we'll can shelve we, that conversation. So, there's, press two,
2: there's two times when we look at this document drama, the docudrama that we've been seeing with the President of the United States looking so hypocritical because he's so critical of Trump, that he ad libbed. The Corvette comment when he said, I let, he goes, What were you thinking, Peter Ducey asked, when uh, by keeping your documents in your garage? He goes, It was with my Corvette and it was locked, <laughs> not like it was on the street. Yeah. Worst ad lib ever. Right except for what he said yesterday when asked for the first time out in California uh, to view the flood and damage itself. Listen to this. Cut one.
5: We found a handful of documents were failed uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there
2: there. What's he talking yeah. about?
11: Well, the thing that really stuck out to me was when he said, I have no regrets. But also he had previously said he doesn't know what is what these documents are or what they're about. So how would he know if he regrets? should or not have? Here, the other thing that I was wondering, has a president ever apologized before and said, listen, I, I, I screwed up? I'm uh, sorry. Bay of
2: Pigs, JFK? I-
11: Okay, like more present
1: day.
2: Oh, oh, present day. No, Ronald Reagan when he said he just it was only one plane full of uh, parts with the Iran Contra Uh scandal because I since have found out and I I apologize. He apologized. See, I
11: just think it would be something. And this is for you could say the same thing about former President Trump too. Mm -hmm. I think that when you you make a mistake. It would be refreshing. Well,
2: for- he promised to tell us when he makes a mistake.
11: Yeah, he did. He promised. He did. Just to say, listen, this was a bad move. I'm still figuring this out, but I want to say I'm sorry. I understand the severity of the situation. And I feel like people on both sides of the aisle would have real respect for that.
2: Right. And It I shouldn't
11: think- be that hard to do.
2: Well, I mean, they. you know, the theory is if you show vulnerability – It'll be like you're showing your carcass to a bunch of hyenas and they're going to tear you apart.
11: Right. And Uh, I'm sure some people would. But I think that a majority of people would really respect it. I would.
2: Here is uh, Jim Jordan on the different ways in which the DOJ's responded. As you know, Carly, the DOJ was present when they went through the House, but the FBI would never was there. Cut. uh, Cut five.
6: I still don't know the answer to why they were looking in the first place. What prompted them to go look on November 2nd at the Penn Biden Center? For, for whatever they were looking for, or were they specifically going to look for classified documents that may have been there? I don't know the answers. There's all kinds of questions we don't know the answer to. I do think it's interesting, and this is what we'll be looking at in the Judiciary Committee, I do think it's interesting how the DOJ has responded. We've seen all kinds of things that seem inconsistent. Why didn't they accompany the lawyers when they went to pick up the classified documents? I have no idea why they didn't do that. So there's all kinds of questions there.
11: Yeah, absolutely. And then you do look at the difference in treatment, and that's really what this boils down to and why uh, Republicans are so frustrated because you see that the FBI raided Trump's home, and then they they say, all right, you you lawyers who don't even have a clearance to be looking at these documents can do it yourself. That's the part that I really don't understand.
3: So
2: I'm going to have Jim Trustee on One Nation who is one of Donald Trump's lawyers. Uh-huh. And just to point out specifically what the difference is legally, there's a lot of things out there that just aren't true. And the stuff that Trump's came out with, I don't know if it's true. He said, I only took the folders he put on Truth Social this week. I like the folders, so I took the folders, but there was nothing in them. Okay? Did not know that. That would have been interesting. So the big difference, I did not know. Jim Trusty was on with Trace the other night, and he said— we wanted to, Trump wanted to build a skiff at Mar-a-Lago because he knew sensitive documents would be coming down. As a former president, he gets briefed if he wants, and they said no. Maybe because it was a public place. I want to know the difference. And what does he see as a difference? Why did Trump know exactly what was in there? Why legally did Joe Biden come out and say, I don't know, I don't want to know what's in there? Okay. At the very least, it shows terrible staffing, a terrible organization. totally.
11: totally. I really wonder what's going to happen, though, because I could easily see this being something where uh, these special counsel investigations take so long where you just – for in nine you months' kind of time, you just forget and then go, oh, yeah, by the way, they're both, there's a special counsel investigation going on for both of these guys, and then it gets quietly resolved or – Something well, I mean, nature. does
2: Trump ever quietly get resolved, though? Because sooner or later, <laughs> we're going to find out what he thought about well, Mar-a-Lago. Listen,
11: it could get quietly resolved because now. Biden is now facing the same thing. It right. wouldn't have before.
2: You know, technically, he shouldn't. Technically, there's two separate cases.
11: Yeah, totally. And there's two separate uh, slates of, I guess, charges are what they're looking at.
2: So here's where Nikki Haley, who well, I want to get to 2024 with you, who fascinatingly is, seems to be about to take on Trump, but she doesn't want to take on Trump. She only wants to take on Joe Biden. Cutting.
3: Classified documents should never be taken into an unsafe place. And so I think that clearly President Trump and President Biden did it. They both should be investigated to make sure that there was no harm to our national security. But what really gets conservatives upset is the fact that you can have Republicans and Democrats do the same thing. And Republicans are vilified and Democrats, they just sweep it under the rug. And so that's the FBI DOJ double standard. You know, at some point, something's got to give. You can't weaponize our agencies and have it play out this way.
2: So um, your thoughts about that, a Republican admitting Trump shouldn't have done it. Yeah,
11: well, I thought that was a very good answer. Um, And I think that she believes what she says there. Um, And it's true uh, when she's talking about the differences in treatment. Um, That was from her interview with Brett Baer. And the big news was how, I mean, she came inches from announcing that she's running for president. It's obviously going to happen. It's just a matter of when she wants to make that official announcement. Um, And then the other big news from that interview is this uh, anger uh, between, you know, clearly she and Mike Pompeo do not get along. Um, And did you you see the whole thing? And the part in his book where Pompeo was saying that Nikki Haley, as a UN ambassador, it wasn't that much of an important job, but she ended up leaving it anyway. And then uh, now she's saying that she, there was this whole controversy over whether she wanted to be vice president, was working with Jared Kushner and Ivanka to get the job, and now she's denying that. So there's a whole bunch of controversy there. Well, By Mike the way, Pompe- all these people could be running for president, too. It's
2: going to help sell Mike Pompeo's book, but at that time he says it was a scheme behind the scenes between Jared Kushner and Nikki Haley to make Nikki Haley his running mate to for reelection and knock out Mike Pence. Yeah. Kellyanne Conway was on with us yesterday. Here's what she said about that. After all, she might have been there this whole time. Uh, during some of this exchange,
11: Cut 21.
12: That is true that there were people trying to get rid of Mike Pence
11: off the ticket. I also thought it was so naive from some of the political novices uh, like Jared Kushner that I worked with in the White House to to actually think, well, let's just get rid of the vice president. This whole idea, let's just get a woman, get a woman, get a woman. You know who did that? One Joe Biden. And look what we got for it. Goodness, Kamala Harris. So I'm glad Secretary Pompeo has, has said this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't really compare uh, Kamala Harris to Nikki. Nikki Haley's a very impressive woman, um, and you know, she was a successful governor of South Carolina. And I thought she did a great job as U.N. ambassador. She clearly understands the foreign policy issues. Uh, very nice lady. Um, have had a chance to meet her a couple times. Uh, so uh, the big thing that she's going to face if she does run is that, unfortunately for her, all the energy among Republicans is really split between. Um, Trump and DeSantis. So you never know how a race is going to shake out, but as of now it looks like it's going to shake out in one of their directions.
2: I did right now. Well, uh, we'll see if DeSantis gets in or not. Uh, one thing is pretty clear, he hasn't made a decision yet and it's going to happen after this uh this legislative period in Florida. Do
11: what do you think? Do you think he runs?
2: I I don't think it's a done deal. Everyone's acting as if he's definitely going to. I know to run.
11: everybody does.
2: And they because the guy's in his 40s. He's so and, young. And he says, well, What would be left should I get it? Am I going to have a former president that's going to take his 40 percent and maybe 20 percent would just only wants him and make it impossible for anyone to get the nomination but him? Yeah. And if he does that, why would I want that headache knowing in four years he's definitely not going to run at 82? And at 82—
11: So you're saying he's thinking maybe I just wait six years.
2: Well, let's see what happens with the court cases Let's wait, which yeah. we know is risky because we know that sometimes the wind gets out of your sails, some yes. scandal pops up. Yep. Who knows what's going to happen in Florida? Yeah. Let's say there's a natural event and he doesn't handle it as well I as the know. last one. Oh,
11: I know. And there's so much momentum behind him now. So there's a lot to weigh.
2: Right. I Who think knows? Nikki, Nikki Haley is very formidable. I don't know if she has momentum behind her. Yeah. But think about this successful governor, minority. I know. And I think that was an important position because she made it. She said, I want to report directly to the president. At which time, how many fiery speeches did she give calling out the North Korean leader, calling out China, calling out Russia? So it's not Secretary of State, but that's how they're going to fight. Pompeo and Nikki Haley are going to fight. It
11: seems more personal than 2024. It seems like they just don't get along. Right. And yeah, I don't know. That makes me sad. I want people to get along.
2: Right. Uh, I don't. I think it makes better radio when people (laughs) don't get along. So this way, it's not just you and I fighting.
11: You like chaos.
2: I do. Here is uh, I want you to hear more. Uh, Here's Doug Hay, the RNC Communications Director, on Special Report last night about how Nikki Haley sounded. Does she sound like a candidate? Cut 24.
13: It makes South Carolina a much more interesting state as one of the first four. Clearly she sounds like a candidate, but we also know there are a lot of people who are sounding like candidates who have not pulled that trigger yet. It's still historically early. Uh, But Donald Trump has set the timetable a little differently for how everybody is going to make their decision, whether they make a decision based on what he does or just the timing of what he does. But she sure sounded like a candidate tonight.
11: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, she definitely did. Um, And the thing that she kept on saying is that she thinks it's time for generational change and younger leaders to to be taking over. And what she did smartly is she kept on saying, I don't think you need to be 80 years old to be president of the United States. So she was sort of taking both Trump and Biden down in that comment. Because Trump was to be 70. Well, yeah, but specifically targeting Biden's age right now.
2: Right. Uh, we'll see, because, you know, if she does get in, if she's first to get in, as Chris Christie pointed out, you become the target, the first target of President totally. Trump. And is it worth it? So Trump is going to go to South Carolina January 28th or mm-hmm. 4th, at which time he is going to be there with his South Carolina captains, the Governor McMaster and Senator Lindsey Graham. Two South Carolina stalwarts yep. uh, in office who have said, I'm not going Nikki Haley, clearly in South Carolina. That's significant. Right? Also,
11: Democrats want South Carolina to be the first primary state now. Yes. But that's the DMs. What the Democrats do doesn't mean that the Republicans have to follow. They're
2: but, not. Yeah, They're absolutely not. And Governor Sununu says it's constitutional that they are the first primary and they are going to yes. fight it out. Yes, yes, so yes. So the one thing is pretty It's He's clear. also impressive. Governor Sunu, absolutely. Right? Yeah, I think he is totally different. I think he's fearless. I think he does know the issues. He's got great political instincts from a political family. Uh Um, And he was here. We went out to lunch afterwards. Then he came back when we told him we were interviewing Rob Schneider last week. He said, I love meeting famous people. Can I come? So we came back (laughs) And to meet Rob Schneider. Oh,
11: wow. this This all happened last week? Last Friday. No, that's so funny. Right.
2: Yeah, thank you. You don't believe me? Or?
11: Well, no, I just I didn't know that you had the, a personal connection to him. Right. And when I said that he was impressive, um, I'm now impressed that you had like this big story to tell about right. how you know him so well.
2: Because you think that a lot of times do guys make up stories to impress you? And no. And you think I fall into that category? No, 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 my okay. friend, no. All right, so listen, when we come back, I'm going to ask Carly about what happened with Alec Baldwin, a guy from Massapequa, talented actor, but might be looking at jail time. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Educating. Entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I didn't pull the
13: trigger. So you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. never. That was the training that I had. You don't point a gun at me and, and pull the trigger. On day one of my instruction in this business, people said to me, never take a gun and go click, 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 because even though it's incremental, you damage the firing pin on the gun if you do that. Don't do that.
2: So, and by the way, Alec Baldwin does know about guns because his dad was a rifle team coach. And I know people that were on the team when he was a kid, and they were telling me that he used to be running around there all the time. So it's hard to believe. There's a chance that his dad never taught him about guns, but he was a teacher at the high school uh, where, I, where I went, and he was uh, at a school across the street, but he used to be running around there with it. So it's hard to believe his family grew up with guns around him. Yeah. So he got charged, but again— He's speaking evidently by coming out, say so he didn't pull the trigger. That was almost what the prosecutor said. I don't know. Maybe he believes no that he
11: didn't. I am I so conflicted on this one. Uh, the one thing I'll say, obviously, is a beautiful woman lost her life, and it was whatever. The, it was an accident. It still somebody needs to be held accountable. Who I don't know. You have Alec Baldwin saying I didn't pull the trigger. The DA said, well, "Yeah, you did." And there's an was it an FBI investigation on the gun, and yeah. it said, "They said, yeah, there's there's no way this gun would go off if you didn't pull the trigger." So there's that. And then Alec Baldwin, and I think that this is the strongest defense, is saying, "When when an armorer hands me a weapon, I trust that they're doing their job." And that it's and then somebody screamed cold gun. So he thinks that it's a cold gun. Um, he's probably been handed a gun like that a million times. Never in a million years would he think that there would be a live round in it. And then what happened happened. So I I mean listen, I I know his politics, I know blah, blah, blah. But I take great sympathy on first and foremost her family and what happened to her, but also him. He's got in, five little in, kids in or six. that he is feeling completely awful about this whole right. thing. Right, and
2: now he's got to fight it out. Cut 13 is Alec talking about the incident on ABC. You're not worried
13: about being charged. I don't, I've been told by people who are in the know in terms of even inside the state that it's highly unlikely I would be charged with anything criminally.
7: Do you feel guilt?
13: No, no. I feel that there is, I, I feel that that. that uh, someone is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is. But I know it's not me. I mean, I, I, honest to God, if I felt that I was responsible, I might have killed myself if I thought I was responsible. I, I don't say that lightly. So yeah, I
11: know, I know. It's just, I, I, what do you What do you say about this? I mean, this is an awful situation. I I definitely think that a, no one thought, expected a charge coming his direction. Also, there was already a civil the civil case already played out, and they settled. And um, the outcome was that Helena Hutchins' husband was going to become a producer on the Ru- the Rust movie, which is now either being filmed or going to start filming. Why would want filming. that? Uh, I, f- I believe he released a statement when this all came out, and he said that he wanted his wife's final work to be finished, um, to start to, – to finish what she started. Um, and how do you f- – Finish filming a movie now when there are felony charges um, against Alec Baldwin, the main actor. I mean, do you, do you does he f- still do the movie? I don't know.
2: They say they're doing it. Yeah. It's that now, now there's charges. It is right? so sad. Six she years, has years in jail. A
11: young son. And we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But this was definitely a surprise.
2: All right, Carly, I enjoyed our quality time together.
11: I did. You know, maybe I'll just hang around in the background and just.
2: You can. I mean, you can do that. I'm
11: free for the next three hours.
2: No, you're not. You have a family, to, and now your husband lives here. So this you, is true. You have somebody to hang All out right, with. All
11: right, fine. Maybe you're, you're right. I should probably go. Bye.
1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country and, according to all our Facebook comments uh, around the world, uh, and, of course, on Instagram, too, uh, Paul Farber's going to be here. He's director of the Monument Lab, host of the statue, focusing on... Rocky Balboa, the Philadelphia statue. I'm not in Philadelphia this week. I'm pulling for the Giants to beat the Eagles and pull off the upset of the century. But the Rocky Balboa statue, which has become a mecca and a visiting place and a must-see for so many people around the country. It's uh, the subject of a a brand-new podcast, and Paul Farber will be here. And plus, is there anything to do with Rocky that's not awesome? The answer is no. So let's get
3: to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. Yes, we need to go in a new direction. And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. But we are still working through things and we'll figure it out. I've never lost a race. I said that then. I still say that now. I'm not going to lose now. But stay tuned.
2: Uh, Sounds like she's in. 2024 taking shape as another former Trump staffer prepares to take him on. Nikki Haley, what she said and what she's been accused of by another Trump loyalist as the current president prepares to make his uh, to announce he wants four more years. I'm talking about Joe Biden.
4: Number two. We have charged him with involuntary manslaughter in the alternative. We have charged him based on uh, reckless disregard for safety, Um, and we've also charged him based on a misdemeanor statute of negligent use of a deadly weapon.
2: Unbelievable. That is the New Mexico District Attorney Baldwin pulled the trigger. That's what this prosecutors are revealing, and they decide to charge him on two counts. Could the volatile esteemed actor be heading to jail for shooting his cinematographer? We'll lay out the case.
5: Number one. We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. There's no there there.
2: Yes, there is. We already got them. At least 25 there there there's. No regrets? You would be thinking that a president caught with misplaced classified documents might be regretful and apologetic, but not Joe. In fact, he was defiant, and he will regret that. I don't think there's any doubt about it, because there's there there. They got the there there. So saying there's no there there would apply if he was accused of keeping documents in his house or in his office and they didn't find anything. Then you go, there's no there there. Well, we heard there was. Well, we haven't seen him. Then good game on story's over. But instead you have almost every media outlet asking relentless questions and getting almost no answers for no reason. There's times you don't want to say press secretary is there to make the president look good and also be a conduit with the press. Get it. But what KGP, KJP is doing is absolutely awful. Just unprepared and idiotic in her responses. And it's not just us, Fox, that feels as though she falls way short. It's the general consensus, according to these media columnists. Among all outlets, Cut2 is an example of the frustration people feel.
3: I already answered your question. Go ahead. You really did. Well, I, I did. No, you didn't. Well it's your it's your opinion.
15: I'm having a hard time understanding why. I just questions said, about we should, procedure.
3: We should, and White I just DNA. said and I just said to you the White House Counsel's office will be able to address that question.
9: We've having a conversation about adding I, a Peter, member to the staff Peter, to speak publicly on Peter
3: saying, I just I actually out. just answered that question. I said we have someone currently, right? So that right, means you no. Know. P- why Justice. is it a DOJ question? And, and, it's, and let's be clear, it's not your decision to make of what I can or can't answer from here.
2: So they say we were referring you to the DOJ and the DOJ says we have nothing to say on this, but we are not stopping the White House from talking on this. So they're caught just trying to deflect. Well, that's why I can't do that. Legal law will be in jeopardy. That's not the case. The president of the United States coming out and saying, I don't want to know what's in the documents. Really? You don't want to know what's in documents in your own office to find out how it got there? I was told not to. There's no lawyer. It makes no sense. You heard Jonathan Turley on our show this week. No lawyer would say, don't find out, Mr. President, what documents you had in your office. It's insane. Here is exactly what he said. You heard a little in the beginning with the big three. But here's the extended comments. As he is out in California visiting the damage. Can I just point out, too, before we hear the soundbite? Isn't it interesting, when he wants to see flood damage, he actually goes where the damage is, but when he wants to see what's wrong with the border, he goes where there's no problem. Cut one.
5: We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no
2: there there. Right. Uh, We still don't know another thing. I read the Washington Post story yesterday, at which time his chief of staff says she feels kind of guilty because she packed up his office as vice president. And she might have inadvertently put classified documents there. But that doesn't explain how stuff got in his garage, maybe from a different era. We don't know what the documents actually are, what they say. Here's more from Jim Jordan, who's doing a lot of the investigating. Cut six.
6: My gut tells me the reason we see these inconsistencies from the Department of Justice is because this is the same Department of Justice that spied on parents and targeted parents. This is the same Department of Justice that paid Twitter $3.4 million to censor information and keep it from the American people. This is the same Department of Justice that we believe has retaliated against the very whistleblowers from the FBI who've come talk to us about how political that place has become. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised when we see what we have now witnessed from the DOJ relative to the classified documents and Joe Biden. And let me
2: just tell you, he wants this off the front page, but it's all anyone's asking because they found documents as late as last Saturday. We don't know if they're going to find out and announce anymore, but it could actually leak if people do their job. But what he wants is not talking about it. What I feel is they'll do this. They'll make sure the debt ceiling debate ends up in the shutting down of government, making that by far the biggest story as we get our credit rate downgraded and don't pay our debts. Uh, lastly, I'll let Nikki Haley weigh in. She's on Special Report last night. She says there's a definite difference in the way both are handled, and she's going to be pointing that out. Cutty.
3: Classified documents should never be taken into an unsafe place. And so I think that clearly President Trump and President Biden did it. They both should be investigated to make sure that there was no harm to our national security. But what really gets conservatives upset is the fact that you can have Republicans and Democrats do the same thing, and Republicans are vilified, and Democrats, they just sweep it under the rug. And so that's the FBI-DOJ double standard. You know, at some point, something's got to give. You can't weaponize our agencies and have it play out this way. So right now,
2: we have horrible judgment by the President of the United States, classified documents, wrong place, horrible place, with the, just the embarrassment of having any in your garage. But can you imagine if this gets bigger when we find out what these documents actually contained and if they are relevant to the laptop, if they are relevant to a lot of his businesses, if there was a reason instead of it being reckless and careless, it becomes motivated because of business. One thing that if he's doing, if you're doing your biography, you're going to want the paperwork, especially with his uh, memory and his uh, mental failings, you're going to want paperwork there to tell you because he wrote a book. So you want that there. That might be a reason. Might be a reason that you accept. But I just think that it's a, another hurdle that uh, Donald Trump is now over because right away it just nullifies the argument as a debate. That's what I would think. Secret Service, they didn't have a sign-in sheet at his summer home, but they had Secret Service there. And Secret Service doesn't have one person get to the president when he became president unless they sign in. And they say they will share all their documentation about who went to visit him and who didn't. So that... Is not going to make them happy if they have something to hide. If they don't, then it's no problem. But we're also talking about over the course of six years. And we still don't know. And I don't think anyone's buying the fact that just on November 2nd, his 80-year-old lawyer said, I'm just going to clean out that office for no reason at the University of Pennsylvania. We don't have that answer yet. So I'm curious, too, about what's going to happen in 2024 and what it all means for Joe Biden, who's now putting us an announcement until after the State of the Union address. Okay. Now we have the President of the United States with a uh, big event coming up, I think, June 28th in South Carolina. And now we have Nikki Haley possibly becoming a 2024 candidate. Mike Pompeo, I think, is locked in personally. He's got a book coming out on Tuesday. He'll be here, I'm sure. Uh, but when you talk about 2024, Nikki Haley, obviously she didn't have to do the interview with Brett Baier. She's laying the groundwork to see how she does and to see how she is received. Cut 19.
7: You said after the holidays that you would look at it, consider it. You would read the tea leaves in your words. Uh, We are in the new year. How are those tea leaves looking? Are you going to run for president?
3: Well, I'm not going to make an announcement here. But when you're looking at a run for president, you look at two things. You first look at, does the current situation push for new leadership? The second question is, Am I that person that could be that new leader? Yes, we need to go in a new direction. And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. But we are still working through things, and we'll figure it out. I've never lost a race. I said that then. I still say that now. I'm not going to lose now. But stay tuned.
2: So what does it mean? Uh, She said earlier, I'm not going to run against President Trump. And now she feels maybe he's vulnerable enough. I mean, the meeting with the white supremacists, not a good move. The meeting with Kanye West, not a strong move. Uh, coming out just saying the the election was rigged again. Anytime he's talking about 2020, he loses voters. Here's Josh Holmes, former chief of staff with McConnell. Cut 25.
15: The knives are out already. I, I think it's pretty clear, and I think Nikki Haley knows, that this sort of traditional MAGA base is going to be pretty difficult for her to tap into, not that she doesn't have some admirers in that space. But what I thought was so interesting about her her interview with you is how she's sort of road-testing Potential thesis statements for this candidacy. So you heard her on multiple occasions talking about generational change. Well, that's interesting, right? Obviously, you've got a, a, an older Donald Trump who's already in the race. That's an inherent critique. It's also something that resonates with primary voters right now vis-a-vis Joe Biden. So you can see her trying some different things here.
2: Interesting is right. It's going to be tough getting them. Youngkin's tough getting them. Pompeo, possible if Trump becomes a non-factor. DeSantis, I think it's 50-50. I bet you they're, they're splitting Trump world. As I was speculating in an earlier hour, the thing that would stop DeSantis, I think, is if he says, yeah, if, what if I beat him? What's going to be left of the Republican Party? Will some be so bitter? Will the, will the attacks get so personal that we'll break up family fights who used to fight about Democrats? Now they're going to fight DeSantis and Trump because they're both so similar and they'll both be vicious going after each other. So when we come back, I'll talk a little bit, another tragedy all around, the Rush shooting that has one of the top actors in this country looking at six years in jail. You listen to Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: We have charged him with involuntary manslaughter in the alternative, meaning that it's two counts, although he will only ultimately be convicted of one count. So we have charged him based on uh, reckless Disregard for safety. Um, and we've also charged him based on uh, the a misdemeanor statute of negligent use of a deadly weapon. And it's only the reckless disregard that carries that five year enhancement that is, in fact, mandatory. So if a jury finds him guilty of that, he could be facing up to six and a half years.
2: So that's pretty serious stuff. And they're, they charge him with two counts, but they're only going to take one count. I'm a little confused about that, but it's an involuntary manslaughter. I guess it qualifies. One thing they said is the assistant director was given what they said was a cold gun. So Hall, this guy Hall, has the gun from the armor, who evidently is the daughter of somebody who's very well well known, famous, and the daughter was known as being not the most, I guess, conscientious armor out there, which is a nutty thing characteristic not to have, and evidently she got bad reviews from a Nick Cage movie that was shot the same place the week before, so she stuck around for this movie. So evidently when he handed the gun, when she handed the gun to the director, he said, listen, before you hand it to Alec, check with me first because I want to check it one more time, and he didn't. He just handed it to him. It turns out live ammunition was there, uh, shot two people, one recovered, one was screaming, one never recovered, and because of that he's being sued. So this is pretty serious stuff. I was surprised, happy for Judge Janine that they went out and did interviews. If you got to hold a press conference, I get it, high-profile person, got to hold a press conference. All right, fine. But why are you doing interviews? So Andrea uh, Reeb is a special prosecutor. She was on The Five yesterday, too. Uh, This is Cut 11.
11: Yes, we do. And we definitely believe he pulled the trigger.
3: Um, the, The FBI lab report confirms that. So definitely the trigger was pulled. All right. So his statement is not correct under any circumstance. Uh, we don't believe it is.
2: Well, here's exactly what he said. Cut. Uh, cut 10.
13: I didn't pull the trigger.
2: So no. you never pulled the trigger?
13: No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them. Never. never. That was the training that I had. You don't point a gun at me and, and pull the trigger. On day one. Of my instruction in this business, people said to me, never take a gun and go click, 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 because even though it's incremental, you damage the firing pin on the gun if you do that. Don't do that.
2: They say that was a huge mistake, that it was almost baiting the prosecutor to do further investigation. And the investigation did reveal he did pull the trigger and gun people tell me I am not a gun person. Tell me that it's impossible for the gun to go off without pulling the trigger. The one thing they said, you could have it cocked backwards. We had uh, Judge Ferreira on today on Fox and Friends. They said if the gun is cocked backwards, um, that would allow him to feel like he didn't pull the trigger because it's already cocked back. That's what they say. So Andrea Reeb weighed in. Again, one of the special prosecutors on with Judge Zidane yesterday during the 5 Cut 15.
3: We've heard that there were real problems on the set, including discharges of two live rounds, people walking off the set saying it was unsafe, they didn't want to work there. Did Baldwin know about this, and did he do anything about it?
11: Well, we believe Baldwin, as a producer, knows everything that goes on on the set. And so, there, yeah, there was a lot of problems. There was a lot of—there uh, were a couple of accidental discharges. Um, there was a lot of safety concerns that were brought to the attention of management and and he did nothing about it so um, there were just this was a, a loose and reckless um, scene where safety was compromised um just to save money
2: that 's what seems to be the case so what was actually going on on that set and by the way, why are they still doing the movie uh, i don't, i don 't i can 't have a picture I guess some people will go you already invested this much money but Can you imagine seeing the movie? I guess people will go because of that reason, bud. You would think it wouldn't be respectful. So Hannah Gutierrez-Reed is the armorer who is tasked with checking weapons for safety on the set of Rust. She faces the same charges and penalties as Baldwin. A third worker on the low-budget Western is his name is David Halls. He signed a plea deal for the charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon. Why? Because he was the director that handed the weapon to Baldwin. He said, quote, if any of these people had done their job, this according to the prosecutor, Helena Hutchins would still be alive today. Gutierrez Reed believed, uh, believed the 45 Colt revolver was loaded and with dummy rounds when she placed it in a cart for the crew. Hall retrieved the firearm and called out cold gun to indicate it did not contain any live rounds, then handed it to Baldwin for a scene he was rehearsing in a church building. The key, the rehearsal did not call for him to point the gun at the camera. He did, and it went off. And now he's looking at six years. Unbelievable. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, why everybody cares about the Rocky statue, what it says about Americans, what it says about you, if you care about it too, from a great new podcast. Paul Farber next.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: Every once in a while, a person comes along who defies the odds, who defies logic, and fulfills an incredible dream. On behalf of all the citizens of Philadelphia, and the many who have been touched by your accomplishments, and your untiring participation in this city's many charity functions, it is with tremendous honor that we present this memorial. Which will stand always as a celebration to the indomitable spirit of man. Philadelphia salutes its favorite son, Rocky Balboa.
2: And the statue gets unveiled. Why would we show a random cut of Rocky Three when the statue still stands uh, in Philadelphia? Why would we open up a segment like this? Because Paul Farber's here. He's director of the of Monument Lab, host of the statue focusing on the Rocky Balboa statue at the foot of Museum of Art in Philadelphia. And even though there's so many famous works of art there, this is the one everyone flocks to that has to run up those stairs and remember where they were when they saw whatever Rocky they like best. Paul, uh, congratulations on the podcast uh, that focuses on this. First off, what, when did you realize that the Rocky movies and the statue were a great theme for a podcast series?
15: Thank you for having me here. I'll say I grew up in Philly, You know, lifelong Eagles fan. Right. Grew up with the Rocky theme, playing everywhere you went in the city. Um, But I always kind of thought of it as something maybe not worth a second look. Like you knew that it was important but didn't really have a full grasp. It was my mother, lifelong Philadelphian, who said you should take a second look and really understand what's going on there. And when I realized from her suggestion that – Four million people go to the Rocky statue each year. That's Statue of Liberty numbers. That's more than double that go to the Liberty Bell. And when you go to the line, you see people from all walks of life who are inspired by this story. And so I wanted to go out and say, what can we learn by looking at the statue, but also understanding the life of of real Philadelphians who have their own histories and stories and the people around the world who see it as a symbol? Um- it's Rocky 3 that it comes into play. That's right. People think it's Rocky 1, but it's Rocky 3. And there I can still
2: remember they're going to unveil a statue. And Mick looks at it and goes, it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> right? And then uh, Rocky's in awe. And then Clever Lang kind of ruins the moment. Cut 28.
13: Don't get a sucker no statue. Give him guts. I told you I wasn't going away. You got your shot. Now give me mine. why don't you get the hell out of there? Shut up, old man. I ain't going nowhere. And why don't you tell all these nice folks why you've been ducking me? Politics, man. This country wants to keep me down. Keep everybody weak. They don't want a man like me to have the title because I'm not a
5: puppet like that fool up there. You know, you've got a big mouth, you know.
13: Why don't you come out and close it, bad boy? Come no. on. The little man don't want to come to me. Then I'll come to you people and lay out the truth. I am ranked number one. One! That means I'm the best. But this bomb is taking the easy matches, Fight another bum. I'm telling you and everybody here, I'll fight them anywhere, anytime, for nothing.
2: So that was a great exchange. And then when he challenges Adrian, uh, he ends up getting the fight and Mick doesn't want him to take the fight. Uh, And later he would throw his helmet at the statue because he had to live up to it. So a lot of stuff happened within the movie on the statue.
15: Yeah. And, you know, in our series, we talk about, in this case, life imitates art. And you have the statue that was made for the film. Sylvester Stallone not only... You know, starred in Rocky and, and wrote it, but for Rocky Three, he directed it and worked with an artist, Thomas Schomburg. They didn't make a, a prop with styrofoam or wood; they made it in bronze. And then after the filming was done, they kept it there, and it kind of took a life of its own. Did Stallone want to keep it there? He offered it to the city, and it. And after several decades of it moving around, it was moved off site. It was moved back for the filming of Rocky V. It was moved back to the Spectrum. And then in 2006, it came back. I think what's fascinating and with the clip that you just shared, you know, Rocky 3 is the moment that this statue comes into the series and comes into real-life Philly. Another blurring of that, though, is the original intent for um, Clubber Lang, who's played by Mr. T. Um, Stallone wanted real-life boxer Joe Frazier to play that role. Joe Frazier's heavyweight champ from Philadelphia. He had a cameo in Rocky 1. He's the person who ran up the steps and punched raw meat. Before the movie character Rocky did. And they had an, an audition. And it went maybe, Terrible. maybe. You might imagine. Yeah. And it ended with Stallone and stitches. And they called it off. But always think about the way that. What st- do you mean in stitches? I mean literally in stitches. He punched um, them. Yeah. Because it will. The audition when you're in a boxing movie has to be in the ring. So they actually were in the ring fighting. And I think it's just this moment where art and life are always blurring. And it, it gets us asking The Rocky statue is the symbol that's known around the world. How does it relate to the real life stories? And for me, that's an entry point into understanding monuments that we often walk by every day. So you
2: you would go to people and say, why are you online? That's right. Right. Why are you here? One of them is this guy, Hasib. Uh, Hasib is an Afghan refugee who moved to Philly. What is the Rocky story? It's an underdog story. Of the once in a shot, what are you going to do with your shot? Why does it resonate with so many people in so many countries? Cut 27.
6: My name is uh, Ahmad Hasid Payab. I live with my family. I mean, the one thing that was inspiring me, I want to become like this Rocky guy. <laughs> Originally, we were from Afghanistan. We came to Philly one year after the Taliban took over the country. I had like watched all the Rocky movies. Philadelphia was depicted and that movie. Having that dream of Rocky, that motivated me. I said, well, let's go to Philadelphia. Rocky started from scratch. His exercise, his mission of becoming the champion. Now I'm making everything from scratch from zero.
15: So why him? You know, there were countless stories, but, um, you know, his story stuck out to us. Here is a person who, with his family, was um, having to flee Afghanistan um, after the Taliban took rule and had to figure out where to go. He had a daughter who had a serious health condition. They had to pick up everything, and they chose Philadelphia because of the Rocky story. And when they got to Philadelphia, um, they spent time at the statue and kind of channeled the Rocky spirit. I think what we kept finding was people who um, are relating to Rocky as if he's a real person, what they pull out from it is it's a place to acknowledge pain, acknowledge trauma. People from all walks of life go there. Inspiration. Inspiration, absolutely. And I think when you talk to people, we talk um, later in the series to someone who does harm reduction work, who really looks for the most vulnerable people in Philadelphia. She calls herself Rocky's little sister. And we just found all of these moments, and I think the story – um, you know, that that and the, the experience of the refugee family um, that you played was really powerful for us. It showed us not just the power of film, but the way that we can connect and come together, too.
2: Paul Farber here, like me, loves the Rocky movies, thinks it's more than just a fight film. Uh, he's director of Monument Lab, host of The Statue, uh, which you can get on a podcast. It's your podcast series, right? That's
15: you right. You can get it anywhere? You can get it anywhere you get your podcast, NPR One, and um, we have new episodes coming out each week. It's a six-part series. And you hear Stallone's voice in this. But if Stallone has is not on board yet. I imagine he would love this. It's an open invite to him. I mean, we really try to... Um, in our latest episode, we look at Stallone, the artist, who before he wrote Rocky, before he acted Rocky, he carved an image of Rocky into canvas. So we, we've we reached out to his camp. He's been busy doing things. We understand it. We we do. It's an open invite. Who knows? Maybe we'll do a, a dialogue at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Uh, that, by the way, the
2: Philadelphia Museum of Art, not
15: happy that a movie prop, they call it a movie prop, is getting more attention than them. It's fascinating when you go to the steps right now, if you go, and again, um I'm an unabashed Eagles fan. So you go there now. The Rocky statue has a Jalen Hurts jersey, and the steps are the place that we are coming together as a city. But it's also a place where we gather, we mourn, and and the museum is a really important place. It was inspiring to Stallone, and the steps, that's the people's pedestal. Absolutely. John Roberts uh, on Fox and Friends
2: ran up Mr. Professional, Mr. I'm going to replace Dan Rather, ran up those steps. Everyone seems to do that. Uh, Here is Stallone. We pulled a cut from him. Surprising students uh, from the New Jersey Eastside High School Culinary Arts and Hospitality. Listen to this. Cut 30.
3: I didn't even know how to react. I just ran. I was like, oh, my God. But on Monday, these students had a chance encounter with Sylvester Stallone.
5: My first reaction was like, that cannot be him.
4: And it didn't happen in Patterson, New Jersey, where these students attend Eastside High School. But in Philadelphia, near the steps of the Art Museum, made famous
3: in Rocky. When he spoke, that's when I immediately knew. I was like, okay, yeah, it's, def- it's definitely him. He was like, put your hands up, put your hands up, put your arms up, your fists up. Yeah, hands up, hands up. And for a few moments, the star
4: posed with the students in front of the Rocky statue.
15: Oh, it's great to be home here.
2: So that's cool. You knew about that, right? Yeah.
15: I mean, we, we tracked yeah. that, and it was just so interesting to find these moments around history. where you have a statue to someone in one way who's living, um it uses Sylvester Stallone's um, life mask, but it's it's now a statue in the city. So you have these moments where people really interact and find meaning. It's a pilgrimage place, and we wanted to understand not just what happens there, but the story of the places that it touches as well.
2: You know what's so interesting, uh, Paul, is that the Rocky movie Getting Done is a Rocky story. That's right. Because he was not successful. He was on his last hour. He's marketing the movie. He gets interest, and they say, well, take it. We just don't want you to be Rocky.
15: When you go back and read Stallone's writing, he's a prolific writer and visual artist. Um, he described himself before that film as a movable statue. That was his way of saying that he didn't have a purpose, that he was just going through life. And I think that the Rocky story really – inspired him, it's fascinating to see there's nods to real-life boxers, people like Rocky Marciano, Chuck Weppner, Joe Frazier, and Stallone's own life. And again, this is where – this is a fascinating story because there's all these layers of life and art blurring.
2: So it reminds me – I've never talked to him about this. He was just in a couple of months ago for Tulsa King, and when he rolled out the latest Rocky, the one that HBO covered when he fought Antonio Tarver, was that considered Rocky Six?
15: Um Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa. But, yeah, unofficially yeah, six. Rocky Six.
2: So I never asked him about this, but it seems like Floyd Patterson, managed by Customato, did not want to give Liston a shot. Mm. Why? Because Liston was a killer, would knock out Patterson. He outweighed him by about 30 pounds, and nobody wanted to see Liston become heavyweight champion with his criminal record and his ties to organized crime. And Patterson, no, I'll fight anybody, and he got crushed twice. And House said, no, it reminded me of Mick saying, no, you're not going to fight him. And that great moment when he said, well, of course I'll fight him. Let's just fight one more fight. And he goes, no, I bought five guys. He goes, they were handpicked. And he goes, what do you mean? They were good fighters, but they weren't killers. You lost your edge when you became, uh, when you became champion. Look at all this around you. And so much of that, when you look at losing your edge, that's a little like Tyson. When Tyson was ferocious it was unbeatable. But when he got rich and got distracted, they realized he wasn't the same fighter.
15: Yeah. I mean, again, stories of art and life blurring. Um, I think about the Creed series. Um, there's a new spin off, Creed 3, coming. It's the first film that Stallone didn't write and, and officially participate in. But of course, he's present. I'm curious how they'll play that out in Creed 1. Well, he got the award for best supporting actor for, right. for Creed 1, right? And I think in, in that moment, he steps back. As to become a mentor in that film, one of the first moments when um, the character played by Michael B. Jordan comes to Philadelphia, they go to the Rocky statue on film. It's art and life blurring. I think appreciating something that that I found very inspiring about that story was both how Rocky as a character evolved, but also to see how the series made room for new narratives And so I'm curious. Do you like – do you think it's sticking with the right narrative? Do you you buy the Creed series? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to see – I see firsthand um, with this podcast, The Statue, how profound and widespread the Rocky phenomenon is. And the films are not even the only place where people kind of push the edges. There's – like there is not just one Rocky statue. There's many of them. There's Rocky artworks. There's Rocky – there's a Rocky musical that we feature so I'm excited for new narratives, and I think what what Rocky stepped into was a boxing history that already existed. So I, I like the expansion, and I'm curious to see maybe there'll be some reconciliation in the future. But I like that there's more stories to come. What could you tell us
2: about the problem with the producers right now? The new the new generation that took over for the producers that had the rights, him and Rocky and Sylvester Stallone are at odds. Yeah, you know, it's
15: tough. This is um, a story. Rowan Winkler. Yeah, when you, know, you gestured to that when Stallone was writing the character, he really identified because he was down and out. He was struggling. And he one of the things he fought for. Those were his
2: real turtles and his real
15: dog, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Who he almost tried to carry up the steps. The fact that he didn't is one of the reasons we know that so well. Um, but he, one of the things he fought for at that time was to be in the starring role. They wanted to take that away from him. But early on in his career, and, he, and I think it's a great model that he fought for authorship, um, but he wasn't it, – it, it, it's a business as well. And so I think part of what the struggle is right now is that he he has many other ideas for Rocky, for Rocky prequels, for Rocky sequels, um, but he wants to have a piece of it of which course. is understandable. I thought
2: he did. Yeah. How did he sell the rights? I did not know that. That confused yeah. me. This
15: is something that all artists really go through is the struggle to how to get your story told. So, you know, that there is, but there's, he's synonymous mm-hmm. with Rocky. Right. And I think that will continue as well.
2: So, Paul, can you say? Got a couple minutes after the break?
15: Yeah. I know podcasts, you know, I used to take it a break. I apologize. <laughs> We're <laughs> doing okay. old-fashioned
2: radio. Paul Farber sticks around. Uh, Monument Lab, he's the host of uh, The Statue. You got to download it and check it out. But, Paul, a few more minutes when we come back.
1: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead.
2: And that uh, is from, uh, from Rocky Balboa, which is technically Rocky Six. Paul Farber, right? Director of Monument Lab and host of The Statue, which you can uh, – it's a great podcast series, which you can get everywhere you go. The significance of that speech, he sounds a little sophisticated. He sounds a little more Stallone in
15: that. I'm going to tell you this. There is something really powerful. Um, Sylvester Stallone is a really well, um, well-researched, well-thought-through artist in episode two – we take a look at like the fact that he is a painter over decades. He gives studio tours. Um, he gives impromptu art history lessons on his Instagram. Like He's sophisticated in it, and I think one of the most interesting kind of moves in the whole series, this is a great scene in Rocky Five at the end. The statue has been put back up. He's there with his son, and the figure Rocky says, what's this building back there for the art museum? What's the art there? But when you, know, when you look at Stallone, he purposely – said, I want to go to the steps. I want to I see this museum from – and open it up and make it available. And that, there's something very inspiring about that. Last minute, uh, 45 seconds. Tell me about the making of the statue itself. Yeah, I spent time with the sculptor A. Thomas Schomburg, who has a background in making bronze sculpture. They, they made a real one for this. And um, the statue is um, – utilizes Stallone's face as a life mask, and then it was hand-shaped um, and hand, into a mold – when I talked to the sculptor, he said, look, I know that Stallone is the model for this, but this is not a statue of a, of a celebrity. This is of the character Rocky. That's very inspiring. Because there's a difference. Yeah. And look, people ask a lot of questions about that. I just think it's great to ask questions about our statues and learn more. Absolutely. And uh, learn more by
2: downloading. This is. I feel like you help me when people say, why do you care so much about the Rocky shows? Your series helps me explain. I'm going to tell everyone, go to the statue. All right. Paul oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you, sir.
1: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmead. Thanks so
2: much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show, being with us all week long. And I come to you from midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. And we have a a volume of breaking news stories. We do not have somebody, the leaker yet, that was responsible for letting everybody know Roe v. Wade was about to be overturned. We are waiting on uh, the president of the United States to finally speak out about uh, these documents to a degree. We're waiting for uh, a reelection announcement from the president. I don't know if that's going to be coming. We thought he was running for sure for reelection. Not sure now, but we'll see how that goes. And we don't know who else is actually going to be in on the right, but I get some movement is afoot. Shannon Bream is standing by. She has something in common with me. We're both going to be going to the Super Bowl. We're both going to be in the field on Sunday. Uh, she's going to probably be wearing uh, eye black for Fox News Sunday. I refuse to do that. I'm too, too much of a serious news person. And then Dr. Drew at the bottom of the hour, he's on the Special Forces show on Fox. He's also very smart and insightful. So let's get to the big big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. Yes, we need to go in a new direction. And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. But we are still working through things, and we'll figure it out. I've never lost a race. I said that then. I still say that now. I'm not going to lose now. But stay tuned.
2: Stay tuned. Wow. 2024 taking shape. Former Trump team member prepares to take him on. And by the way, she's got to push back on another Trump loyalist who took her on.
4: Number two, we have charged him with involuntary manslaughter in the alternative. We have charged him based on uh, reckless disregard for safety. Um, And we've also charged him based on a misdemeanor statute of negligent use of a deadly weapon.
2: Mary comic altwi She is a prosecutor in New Mexico. Baldwin pulled the trigger. That's what they claim. He's going to be tried. We'll see if he's found innocent. He's looking at six years in jail for the Rush shooting.
6: Number one.
5: We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. There's no there there.
2: No regrets. You would think the president caught with the misplaced classified documents. A lot of them would be regretful and apologetic, but not Joe. In fact, he was defiant, and I think he will regret that. But Shannon Breen went to law school and excelled. She knows all that stuff. Best-selling author, host of Fox News Sunday. Shannon, I mean, this is twice he's ad-libbed. And I think twice he created more trouble for himself. It was my, my documents were locked with my Corvette in the garage. At least they weren't on the street. And now no regrets about keeping classified documents on his properties in his office. Out of all the catchphrases, that should not be one he used. Am I correct?
12: Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that the law cares about regrets or how you feel about it. If you've got unsecured classified documents, that's what the law cares about. And the fact that he was out there and, not surprisingly, was so hard on former President Trump when classified documents were discovered at Mar-a-Lago and said, how could you be so incredibly irresponsible? I mean, all of that is going to come back to haunt him. And there is some angst, I think, here in Washington and beyond with Democrats who say this was an unforced error. They didn't need this. He's getting ready to announce reelection. And, um, Now he's got himself in the same boat that he was criticizing, you know, nine months ago.
2: So where does he go from here? Uh, He had the odd thing, and Jonathan Turley can't rationalize it legally. Maybe you can. When he came out and said, I've been advised by my attorneys not to find out what was in the top (laughs) secret documents that they found at his office. Why would an attorney recommend that?
12: Well, sometimes it's like the attorney doesn't want to know information from you, like when you're in a criminal defense situation, like, I don't want to know if you actually killed the person. Don't tell me. Um, you know, I, sometimes there is this this feeling that if there is a veil between the two, uh, it protects everyone. And it gives the president the ability to say, I have no idea what the documents are. I mean, it does give him some, uh, you know, insulation so that he can say that and it be an honest thing. So, you know, who knows? Maybe his attorneys have said, like, yep, we're going to keep this walled off. Don't talk to anybody. Don't mention it. I'm sure they don't want him saying anything, um, but he can plausibly say, "I don't know," you know, because the the reporting, which has not been official, DOJ is not telling us anything, but it's been that there could be documents potentially linked to Ukraine or Iran or the UK or other, you know, high intel situations. And so by him saying, "I don't know," he can. Validly say. He doesn't know.
2: So we know this. Only 22% of the country thinks he handled those uh, top secret documents well, and he's dropped to 40% approval rate in the latest Reuters poll. He was at 44. So it matters to the American people, even though he said this, cut one.
5: We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there.
2: Of course there's a there there. There's 25 there there's. Of all the, I just don't get it. I mean, I just, I, my image is the chief of staff saying, listen, we've been through special prosecutors before. Every presidency's had its except for Obama, mysteriously. Uh, so we, there's a way to handle this, whether it's the Scooter Libby situation or the Russia situation. There's no there, there is not accurate because they found tw- at least 25 there, Theirs.
12: Well, and it's kind of like that statement <laughs> that's used in Washington, mistakes were made. Like, I'm not taking responsibility. I don't know that I made any mistakes, but mistakes were made. It's kind of the same thing. Um, You know, the White House wants to set their narrative on this, and they know it's difficult because it's against the backdrop of what happened at Mar-a-Lago. But I don't know that he's going to get to say, you know, there's no there there. Um, That's up to the special counsel, and now the Justice Department is officially investigating, and they'll decide whether there's any there there.
2: So what knocks this off the front page? And I'm harking back to Barack Obama when he— uh, rolled out Obamacare, and the computer didn't work, the program was mm-hmm. ineffective, No one. but at the same time, they shut down the government, and Republicans got the blame for it. And he made a mocking comment like, yeah, I'm sure you guys wish you didn't shut down the government now, because I'm wondering if that's going to make the president dig in more to see if he could get more pressure on Republicans and get him off the front page with this scandal.
12: Yeah, I think that they know when it comes to this debt ceiling thing, it it generally works against Republicans when they try to say, like, hey, let's uh, agree to some spending cuts before we agree to raising the debt ceiling. It just, in the public sphere, tends to hurt the Republicans because, you know, it sounds like the White House is willing to play, play chicken on this. They have said no negotiations, zero, zelch, nothing. They know that's not realistic because what is going on over in the House? You have a deal that was made that with cut, Kevin I'm McCarthy to become Speaker that essentially says, because um, the, these holdouts who voted for him, we expect cuts and caps, and we will not vote for the dead ceiling unless you do that. So the White House knows the optics of of this and how to play it, and they're going to.
2: Yeah, I, well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. I'm just wondering, you know, there's a lot of people looking at the timing of all this and saying, you know, he was uh, on the glide path after the holidays to say the word mm-hmm. was his family was all in. I'm going to run for reelection. James Clyburn is backing everybody off, saying the president should run again. He's done a great job. And then this cops up. And then you have Adam Schiff and everybody else, you know, Senator Stabenow, coming out and saying it's an embarrassment. Uh, Schiff saying we need to find out what those documents are. I need to be briefed on this. Of course, saying that Trump did worse. And then I'm watching other channels. Shannon, I'm watching other channels cover this like a legitimate story and suddenly realize that there's links between Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, his brothers and foreign
5: business. Listen, I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period.
4: Despite his denials, a CNN review of the laptop data, as well as other public material, shows that Joe Biden did interact with some of his son's associates while serving as vice president, though it's unclear exactly what was discussed. One example, the Republican site, Miguel Aleman-Magnani, a Mexican businessman and son of the former president who Hunter was trying to woo. In 2014, Aleman-Magnani and his dad were photographed at the White House with then-Vice President Biden.
2: Shannon, they're not rolling back old clips from Fox from 18 months ago or two years ago. They're suddenly discovering a story that they ignored for two years and looked at you as an extremist conspiracy, conspiriologist, if that's a word, if you like even it. subscribe to this. So would like just, You just need
12: to, to trademark that. But, I'm thinking about it. Uh, right. Brett's going to give this me a run something- for my money. But, but what we are you thinking on about this? A long time yeah. ago, um, people will hearken back to coverage all across our network, including Tony Bobulinski's numerous sit-downs with Tucker Carlson, where he brought receipts and said, "Listen, look at this. I think that this proves that there were, you know, conversations, there were discussions, there was an awareness on the president's part of, you know, kind of some of what Hunter was up to." Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people are waking up to the story now here, and it's been a terrible time for Kareem Jean Pierre in the briefings because it's. It's not just Peter Ducey at Lawrence, Jackie Heinrich over there. It is the entire press corps who's now saying, like, hold on a minute. And it makes you wonder, like, why are mm-hmm. they suddenly now into this story, into holding Biden to account? Um, listen, we maybe will get more answers because the House Oversight Committee has said this is a priority for us. And we're going to look into these business dealings and these documents and see where they lead us.
2: So, Shannon, you are host of Fox News Sunday
12: mm-hmm.
2: and you are going to the Super Bowl. And the, t- the network that hosts the Super Bowl usually interviews the president.
12: Mm-hmm. Are you
2: going to interview the president?
12: I cannot speak on such things at this moment. But I like that you're asking the question. And I also like that you identified yourself as a much more serious news person and journalist than me when it comes to the Super Bowl. So Thank you. maybe I should ask you if you're interviewing the president.
2: I'm going to tell you right now, no. <laughs> I will tell you, and you can run with that exclusive. I will okay, not interview the president I, listen, of the Super Bowl.
12: I would enjoy watching you interview the president. So I this think is, that would be insightful.
2: What I usually do is when I was covering the Super Bowl and I covered like 20 of them, maybe 25, I look up and I watch the host of Fox News Sunday in a booth. So I'll be on the field on Fox and & Friends, and I imagine Ooh. you'll have to go in an hour earlier because a little bit more travel. Maybe instead of joining me via remote, you'll be joining me in person on Sunday.
12: I would love that because you know our um, setup is going to be there, like right in the middle of everything. It's going to be a very cool setup. So I think we should be together, we'll be down there on the field together.
2: I'll be there and we'll be able to talk before, and you'll probably be the only guest who's going to be, uh, be able to be uh, swept through uh, through the magnetometers in order to qualify. So I might need you for all three hours.
12: That's if I pass the background check. Right. That's, so, that's hopefully. been the
2: problem in the past. Stand by. Have you ever hosted a three hour show? Yes. Yeah, have you hosted Fox and Friends?
12: Uh, yeah, I have. Thanks oh, okay. for remembering. I obviously made such a good <laughs> impression that you can't <laughs> even get it out of your brain. <laughs>
2: really? I mean, it gets so confusing. There's so many women. Um, so <laughs> we <laughs> all look
12: alike, right? Yeah. It's just a bunch of <laughs> yes. blondes over at Fox. Right. We I just did... run from one to the next. We all just run together.
2: Listen, I made one aside comment about 15 years ago that still has traction like today. So please don't ever accuse me of saying we all look alike <laughs> the bond because I made one comment and it'll live forever.
12: One blonde lawyer after another. Right. Over
3: there at
2: Fox. That's a little bit better. Uh, mm-hmm. Shannon, so I'm not really sure what happened to our segment, but I do would like to know oh. who's going to be on okay. your show
12: got Republican Congressman Fitzpatrick, Democrat Congressman Gottheimer. They say they're the problem solvers caucus. Can they actually solve any of these big problems, debt ceiling, immigration, all that? We'll see if they're just a little bit too optimistic or if they actually have a plan and can get others on board. And I'm going out to the March for Life today. We're going to shoot some of, you know, what happens now? Um, These folks, they've been trying to get rid of Roe. They got rid of it, but there's so many other dominoes that have now fallen. So we've got a pro-choice leader, a pro-life leader. They've agreed to sit at the table with me and talk about what comes next.
2: And, and But what about the news? And I can't believe we're looking at this. A year ago, we were hearing about a leak yep. about the Supreme Court decision, and we, mm-hmm. it looks like they're going to close the investigation without getting anybody. Shannon, you know the inner workings of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Well, how could they possibly, with a finite amount of people, how could they possibly not have a suspect? Well, excuse me. How could they not have the culprit?
12: I think a lot of it has to do with the possibility that if it involves a clerk, they, they cycle out in July. So, listen, those people are gone. They're not under the auspices of the court. The court is handling this as an internal investigation. This is not FBI or DOJ. So those employees are gone. So if it was, and we have no idea, but if it was a clerk, you've lost that entire pool of people who pieced out. In July of last year. So that leaves a lot of questions there. I did think it was interesting that the, that the investigation said everybody they interviewed signed a sworn statement that it was definitely not them under penalty of perjury, but a bunch of them admitted that they told their spouse or their partner about the opinion and who voted how. So that's not good. We know that happens.
2: Right. Could it be a justice?
12: I mean, anything's possible. That's the thing. When you don't solve the um, equation, <laughs> and then we're just left to wonder who was involved and what happened. So you don't know. Oh, you know I would tell you if I did. Yeah,
2: if you had somebody, this would be the perfect time, and then you could <laughs> yeah, roll this clip nothing, into your show. I have
12: nothing to divulge at this moment. I'm going to save it for Sunday, though.
2: So there's two things you won't tell me: the leaker, and you will not tell me if you're interviewing the president on Super Bowl.
12: You have to tune in. That's what we call in the business a tease.
2: I got to get into this business. I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to have. I need a big break.
12: I mean, uh, six, seven, eight hours a
2: day is not enough for you. It's not. <laughs> uh, Shannon, thanks so much. We're going to watch you on Fox News Sunday. I'm going to check my local listings and watch you at 2 o'clock on Fox News, right?
12: But first, I'll see you Saturday night.
2: Saturday night at 8 I'm o'clock. I'm
12: watching your show. You always forget you have a show on Saturday night. That's I'll right. i there. I'm always oh, so focused
2: on. on you. Thank you, it's Shannon. part of my Breen. show prep. Bye. You got it. And by the way, on our show, Greg Norman comes out and speaks about their new TV deal with the Live Golf Tournament and uh, with the Live Golf Tour, who has the best golfers in the world on this tour, 54 holes. Uh, Not 72. And number two, he is also going to address the fact that Tiger Woods said there'll be no merger between the PGA and Liv as long as Greg Norman's running it. Does that mean he'll give it up? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, welcome back, everyone. I promised to go to the phone calls, and I've been able to do it. Just getting ready to uh, put – we're putting One Nation together, which is Saturday night at 8 o'clock. So we have Greg Norman. I'm also going to talk to Joanne Hari, who talks about how distracted we are as a, as a people and how it leads to depression, not getting anything done, and stress. So I think that you're going to really uh, love that. Dana Perino kicks me off, and we look at the folly of this green movement and who is really to blame. So a lot to discuss on just this one show, and we have uh, Jimmy Failure will also be on with us. So let's go to Ben in Michigan. Hey, Ben.
10: Yeah, hey, Brian. How you doing?
2: Good. What's your mind?
10: Hey, listen, uh, Alec Baldwin, he mentioned the fact that um uh, general rule is that you don't point a gun and pull the trigger. Uh, I mean, what a huge faux fo- fo- pas that is. My wife and I both belong to a gun club, and the very, very first thing you learn is that you don't point a gun at anyone, period. Don't worry. It's not a matter of pointing the gun and pulling the trigger. You do not point a gun at a person. I don't care how many times a person says it's not loaded. You just don't point a gun at a person. So he definitely uh, deserves some of the blame in this.
2: Well, I think you're right. If it's true that George Stephanopoulos' question said in the scene, you're not supposed to be pointing a gun. That would back up what you said. But in the scene, it might be a little different, Ben, because if the scene called for him to point a gun, he's got to do it, right? Yeah,
10: yeah, sure. I understand. But, again, I mean, there's, there's no way. And there's hey, Ben, no let me no ask way. you this
2: question. Have you ever yeah. had a gun go off without pulling the trigger?
10: Never. Absolutely It's almost impossible, never. right? It is. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So what about <laughs> if it's cocked back, almost like the old West, and you don't pull the trigger, but it it moves quick. Uh,
10: well, see, I, I, I've never done, dealt with revolvers. That's a revolver. Um, I've only dealt with um, semi-automatics. So uh, I, I'm not, I, okay. I, I guess you might say that's above my pay grade. But again, I, I don't know, man. That just still is is highly unlikely. Uh, that's just my opinion.
2: It's just a dumb move to talk to the press. Why Does he have a lawyer that he listens to? He got himself in trouble in that interview.
10: Yeah, I agree. I, I really do. I, it's, Like I said, he bears some responsibility. I I'm, i don't care what you say. All he right. and the armor, especially the armoring. I mean, she should have definitely known that that gun had a bullet in there. I mean, so um, just the fact that she's gotten some bad press in the past, he definitely yeah. bears responsibility, and so does Alex Baldwin.
2: You know, and the thing is, he's a producer. So you can't just say, I'm an actor. He's a producer, too. Drew Pinsky next.
1: radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Doc, how you doing, bud? Yeah.
14: Yeah. Nauseous. Oh, nauseous?
5: It's
14: nauseous is bad, yeah. Headache or nausea. I
13: won't ask any questions. After just 14 hours in the desert, number three, Dr. Drew Penske, is feeling severely unwell.
4: You're looking a little pale. How you feeling? It's bad. If you need a vomit, go see you, doctor.
1: What is it, lightheadedness or just weak. Weak. Really weak.
13: Recruit number three, Dr. Drew, is with the camp medic.
2: I suspect. Most likely diagnosis is dehydration. (sighs) Operating in the desert, it's very unforgiving. There's no shade, there's no water. My goal? Get you drinking some more
5: fluids. Is there any point to an IV?
1: If I do an IV, I think
6: we pull you off the course.
5: Heat exhaustion is a real threat. I've seen
2: colleagues actually collapse. It doesn't matter how big or fit you think you are. If you don't take a a good water discipline, you will suffer and most likely you'll die. Uh, That is a little of the hit show, Special Forces World's Toughest Test, uh, where celebrities, well-known people are put through the ringer with Special Forces operators and, and they treat them just as if they're... Uh, enlisted, although I hear it's a lot harder in real life. Dr. Drew Pinsky had experienced that. That was him. Dehydrated on the set, needed emergency attention. Dr. Drew Pinsky, welcome. What was it like in there?
14: Brian, how dare you say it's a lot harder in real life? But of course it is. Of course it is. I, I love the way that British commentator, uh, number three, is severely unwell. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it was a level of brutality you can't imagine. Uh, and you know mission accomplished one of the things most of us wanted to do was shine a light on what it is the special forces have to do and how extraordinary the people are that actually get through and get selected this is a This is an exclusion process this is This is the staff trying their best to weed out everybody if possible, and anyone left standing that 's their recruit that 's who they want in the special forces. And in my case, I got so sick, so fast, it was startling to me. The step the me muttering around when the, the audio you just heard I don't remember any of that. I was encephalopathic, I was out of my mind. I couldn't stand up till I spent the day in the IC.U and couldn't stand up till I'd gotten five liters of IV fluid what
2: led to that uh you were just you were just dehydrate you weren't drinking and you were in the I middle was, of a desert.
14: well a couple of things it, it was heat stroke really i got some brain swelling and that kind of stuff from heat stroke and that's why i was so confused and it was 120 degrees out there you, you don't you cannot imagine what that kind of heat does to you when you're running and crawling and diving out of helicopters and it was just the, the level of intensity of that first day was uh shocking to all of us and in fact what's so, one of the more interesting things about it we um it bonded us all together. Just within four hours, we were with this cohesive group supporting one another, and we literally talk on a daily basis to this day. That, that actually was filmed back in June. So it was, you know, it's, the other problem was that we had two canteens, and they would come around and ask if we were topped off. And if we were not topped off, they would punish the whole group. I was never topped off. So I was always telling them, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, even when I was severely deficient in water. So I got behind. I figured I could catch up. I, I couldn't. It, I couldn't do it. It was just too bad. And then I just was out of it. Uh, Jamie Lynn Spears saved my life. That's. I want a T-shirt that says that. How? Be- because, well, she was the, every day they sort of select one person to be in charge of the group, the only person that's allowed to communicate with the staff. And uh, she took a look at me and, dragged me to the medic and i was trying to hide it from everybody i wanted to stay i didn't want to i, I was hell-bent on staying and she was, no no you're coming with me and i don't don't really remember much of it but uh it was the right thing to do and
2: you're the medical doctor
14: hey man i'm i'm a biological system too and i was out of my head <laughs> and i was in this experience which i can only describe it as sort of uh stockholm meets hypnotic you just want to you just want to support your peers and do what the staff tells you and it, it's it's incredible how they're able to get you into that mode quickly.
2: I, I thought I, I watched the first episode, and I couldn't believe how intense it was. I mean, number one, you're falling outside the one the one of the first things was you're in a helicopter and you fall backwards into the ocean.
14: Yeah. Right there. And then what part, the part that they don't show you that was actually the hardest part, for those of us that were taller, this thing's zooming over the Red Sea. You know, it, it, they, The staff goes, there's Israel, there's Saudi Arabia. Enjoy this. And you're zooming over the Red Sea, and he goes, "Now get out here. Get out on the rail. So you're out on the rail of a helicopter. A couple of us had to go down to the bottom rail because the the propellers were too close to our head. Getting down to that bottom rail, well, it's like Mission Impossible. As you're zooming over the Red Sea. was very difficult. Once I got there, I thought, all right, the rest of this is going to be easy. And you're about two and a half stories up, and you dive backwards into the Red Sea, and off you go. And people got hurt. you know. And even though lots of people ended up in the hospital, none of us regret having done this. It was an extraordinary experience. It was a life-changing experience. And we all walked away with 15 dear friends.
2: So amongst them, Dwight Howard? Uh, He's on multiple best. teams drafted by the Magic. Yep. Uh, Mike Piazza,
14: Piazza, is Jamie mean.
2: Lee Spears, yeah, uh, Anthony Scaramucci.
14: It's funny. A lot, several people. I think Anthony said this, and I know Jamie Lynn said this too. They don't. They don't have you know their work and the way they live their life. They don't have a lot of close friends, and so this was really like their. For some of them, I think did Dwight say that too? Like a new family. You know, it was like really we were close. Mel B was in there, and she became a good friend. I mean. We all have a, have a WhatsApp that we chat on every day. To this day, we're six months later, and we're still looking forward to seeing each other.
2: That's pretty amazing because uh, it's very similar to what I just experienced here. We had nine special operators who have combined to draw, uh, to skydive in seven continents in seven days to raise money for Folds of Honor. Mm-hmm. And with the, the bond they built in battle, they're still yeah, it's, looking it's to like, go like
14: back to it. It's like nothing else. It yeah. really is an incredible thing. And then these guys... And let me just say about the special force. First of all, our staff was amazing. It was British and American staff, and those guys. Please keep your eye on those guys. They're amazing human beings. But speaking of amazing human beings, if you can physically get through the, tra- they, the, the, you know, as one of the staff members who now have kind of become friends with with all of them said to me, he goes, we have a bunch of tools, and we just start, we using them, we just start tightening the screws, and who's ever left, that's that's our recruit, and the, as you get on and on, you know, they're not 64-year-olds, you know what I mean, and so that's part of the problem for me, I, I was great cardiovascular-wise, and I, I, was, I had a great day, I was into it, I had a great dive out of the helicopter, I, I was thriving, and then all of a sudden, I was sick, that's the part that you—that's the youth part. You got to be young to withstand all that they put put you through. Point is, though, at the very end, the people that are left behind, then still they tighten the screws by testing their mental ability. Once they've got the ones that physically can do it, then they start pushing on whether or not they can mentally tolerate it. And if you watch some of the later episodes, you'll see kind of the, some of the stuff I'm talking about.
5: We
2: will, uh, and I think the series is going to come back again. I think they've already committed to it, didn't they?
14: Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. It was sort of a hit. You know what's weird for me, uh, Brian, and this is really kind of interesting, somebody who I was doing an interview with, you know, I was talking about how angry I, I was that I had to leave, and I, I really, really, I, like I'm, like I have a score to settle, you know? And the one interviewer asked me if I would go back, and I said, you know, I, I don't know if I could say no. I, I, I have a score to settle with. For, to, to, You know, I got sick, I was stupid, I, I didn't, I blinked, and I it makes me so angry, but, um, so that'd be interesting if they asked me to go back.
2: Well, I, I mean, cause you're I'm in really good saying. shape. My wife would, yeah. my
14: wife, I think would hog time me and just go, no, you're not going. Uh, well, how
2: many well, weeks were back. you got, were you supposed to be gone? What is the maximum? 13 maximum weeks? Maximum
14: is 10, 10 days. And believe me, you know, you're watching right now and they're about on day four. And, and I, and I, you, and I, I look at that and I go, you guys, you don't understand how, how the fact that you make it to the fourth day is an extraordinary feat because of the stuff they put you through, but. But uh, they held us for a week before we went out to the desert. You know, we were an hour from a road. You know, I don't know if you saw the, you know, you get a load of the sort of the, the vans carting us through the desert. It's through the sand dunes. Uh, and you know when I got carted out to the hospital, I was in a, I was in an ambulance, and the paramedic had to lie on top of me to keep me from flying off the a gurney because uh, you know we're going over sand. Dude. It was, as a, a whole other story I'll tell you someday. Well, wow, I mean
2: you must be selling the insurance wise. You must have signed away your life.
14: I, everyone says that, and, and I and I guess we did, and we didn't realize. You know you signed. <laughs> You sign stuff, and you go, yeah, yeah, sure. If something happens, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure you'll take every precaution. Um, not really. <laughs> they were, they were, they. As they said, if you die, right. that's just nature's way of telling you you failed. And yeah. every episode, you did, you know, every task, you did not want to fail because if you failed, not only was it ignominious, you know, was it sort of shameful but then you got punished later you <laughs> you had you had to pay the man later wow and so and all and sometimes everybody gets punished if there's not too much you know too, too many fails but, uh, I appreciate your interest in this, Brian. I'm glad you gave me a chance to talk about it because uh, it was an, one of these extraordinary experiences, and when I get together with any of this, this the group, we all sort of spin you know with, with our sort of kind of p t s d ish kind of memories but, but but we love talking about it
2: so uh Dr. Drew's with us right now, Dr. Drew, I hate thinking about this, but if something does happen to you, who raises adam Carolla?
14: yeah uh he he He'll there's be on his own. Like, there, I've got a few people like that in my life. So, <laughs> so, so there's a few, there's several I worry about. Right. If
2: something <laughs> happens to you, the, the, the world's not going to be okay.
14: <laughs> I, I'm sort of the glue for some people or the, the, the you know, holding them together.
2: So, so, so I have a, a couple of things that, out of the news I thought I'd love to have you weigh in on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number one is there was a, when Alec Baldwin gets in trouble, mm-hmm. not many legal people thought it would be a good move for him to give an interview. And it turns out one of the reasons is he gets himself in trouble. And one of the prosecutors basically says they watch him say he did not pull the trigger. Listen to this. Cut 10.
13: I didn't pull the trigger.
2: So no. you never pulled the trigger?
13: No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them. Never. No, That was the training that I had. You don't point a gun at somebody and, and pull the trigger. On day one. Of my instruction in this business, people said to me, never take a gun and go click, 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 because even though it's incremental, you damage the firing pin on the gun if you do that. Don't do that.
2: So he, he got himself in trouble in that because then they went back, talked to all these people, and they say he absolutely pulled the trigger. He's not telling the truth there. And
14: I. I, I do you understand thing, the mindset? I, look, this whole thing makes me feel terrible. To please, everybody. Alec Baldwin did not intend to shoot somebody. For God's sakes, and and no. Can you imagine how he feels? I I know him. I know his brother Daniel. I've known Stephen for years. These are not bad people. They they are very talented people. Right. I'm sure he intended. He believes he didn't or didn't intend to. But there's sort of a you know sort of a reality that the thing got something pulled the trigger right, and that that was his finger on the trigger, and it's you know it's one of these. Things that I, I'm sure he wishes and believes, you know, people, cognitive distortions are incredible, and they're alive and well in America today. Just just go on Twitter, and you'll see you'll see all all the full range of the way our cognition fools us, whether it's you know reasoning from conclusion or cognitive you know sort of this of various types. But I'm sure to try to contend with the fact that he had done that, he, he literally can't do it. He can't. It's too painful. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him. This is a tragedy, and we shouldn't be really – I don't think we should be, you know, uh, judging everybody. Just, no, it's I'm not judging you, but, like, like but, but the wisdom But there will be going, consequences, just like if somebody, you know, turned a corner too fast and, and ran somebody over on the street. It, you would, There would be consequences, and that's the way our legal system works.
2: But if a lawyer tells you, listen, uh, don't go on – you don't go on camera.
14: Well, you know, look, we, uh, we lawyers to... always say that. The fact that whenever a client speaks anywhere on any subject publicly, lawyers freak out. So, of course, he shouldn't have given that interview. How badly is that going to weigh on him? I, I have no idea. But I, I do believe that he wishes he hadn't pulled that trigger. I, got, I, I have no doubt about that, and I think everyone should understand that.
2: No, no question. I, I know him t- I know Danny, too. I've never really – I got talked to Al a couple of times, but I grew up in the same town as him. So yeah. I know their dad. Um,
14: and, and the dad was a major figure in their life, right? And uh, looms large. And you know, and Alec has brought all of us, you know, years of enjoyment, both as a comedic actor and as a as a dramatic actor. And he's, you know, he's been. He, I think people harbor resentment towards him because he got a little outspoken during the Trump era. And uh, I don't know. He's allowed mm-hmm. to do that.
2: So here's President Biden. You know, he's in trouble with his classified documents. Out of all the answers that he could give, I'm wondering where this came from. Cut one.
5: We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives of the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there.
2: Out of all the answers, well, there is the, the, there there. The There's over 25 the, documents there that we, you and I get arrested. If we're in the Marines and we do that, we go to jail. We go to Leavenworth.
14: Yeah. Well, when the Trump team said the same thing, everyone attacked, right? Yeah. Uh, and so he's saying it. Then what else is he going to say? Really, my problem with, with what he's saying more than anything else is he has such a long history of sort of being a little loose with the facts, even though people claim that this is an, an honest president. He... He has told some tall tales he over did. the years, and so you kind of go, mm, "Of course, he says this." So I, I don't know what to make of it.
2: So, Doctor, out of all your different projects, I want to give this opportunity to to promote something from your from the special. You also have a podcast out. You also do one with uh, with uh, Adam Carolla. What would you would you like to promote?
5: Everything.
14: Yes. So first. Of The Special Forces is Fox Network, not Fox News, Fox Network, 9 o'clock. It's, you know, Thick Simpsons, Family Guy, that network. 9 o'clock on Wednesdays, please do tune into that. And then I do a streaming show that your audience would really like, particularly on Wednesday. You might want to check out some of the previous uh, episodes. I go on with another physician who has kind of different ideas than I do. She's sort of extreme. And we mix it up, and we have been interviewing all the physicians and scientists who have been silenced. Like we get everybody who has been canceled, Bhattacharya, McCullough, awesome. those are some of the names you know. But there's a lot more that you you don't know that were there in the White House when some of the decisions were being made, when the idea of six feet social Atlas. distancing was invented out of whole cloth. And every one of these people, while I don't agree with a lot of what they say necessarily, I walk away with some headline where I understand better the excesses right. of what happened during the travesty of the last couple of years. And how do we get that? It is at drdrew.com or drdrew.tv. It's Wednesday, 3 o'clock Pacific time. It's called Ask Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew, you're
2: the best. I hope to see you. I'll I'll see you in a couple weeks. Dr. Drew Pinsky, thank you. See you there. Glad you're okay. Back in a moment.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Hey, we are back. I cannot wait for One Nation amongst my guests. we got Jim Trustee, Trump's attorney. What's the difference between the cases? This is 8 o'clock on Saturday night. Janice Dean on her brand-new book, uh, How She Takes on Goliath, which is Andrew Cuomo, uh, the villain of it all. Uh, Johan Hari, uh, he talks about the distracted nation, how to get back on track, how to realize your text messages, your Instagram are all stopping you from being happy. In perspective, Greg Norman on the Live Golf TV deal that he just signed and Tiger Woods calling him out Uh, while the Masters agrees to let the Live Golfers compete. uh, It's just a matter of merging. We'll talk to the legendary golfer about that, who's president of the league, and Dana Perino to kick it off. Let's find out if there's even more to know.
1: More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com.
2: David Crosby dead at eighty one. Had a bunch of livers. Uh, he ends up passing away. Member Crosby Stills Nash and Young. Uh, this is I'm surprised he lasted this long.
12: He had a bunch of livers.
2: <laughs> he did. It's
12: a random um, fact about someone.
2: All right. Next, U.S. government is cracking down on the scammy organic labels. This is good. Organic has been stretched over the years. We don't know what it really means. Case in point, the Justice Department recently charged several individuals in a multi million dollar scheme to sell ordinary soybeans and say they are organic. I love the crackdown. I love to know that healthy food labeled healthy is actually healthy. With I love the government's cracking down on this.
12: I would agree. But I would also say everyone should do their own homework on what they're putting in their bodies.
2: We are busy. We can't we'll get everything.
12: You're concentrating on... We
2: a, all know that cheesecake is good for you. We just don't know how good.
13: Oh, I and mean, that fried steak, too.
2: Finally, fried <laughs> steak on a skillet.